when someone says, so what do you do? And I think what you answer at that point really defines you subliminally and to the other person. Power to Live More with Joe Dodds. Welcome to the Power to Live More podcast, all about productivity, organisation, well-being, energy and resilience. I'm Jo Dodds and I started this show back in 2016 to enable interesting people to share their stories about how they use their power to live more and by that I mean how they focus on productivity, organisation, well-being, energy and resilience to enable them to do more of the stuff that they want to do and less of the stuff that they don't. After 241 shows I've taken a pause from doing new interviews to reshare previous interviews. They were too good to not revisit. So please do bear in mind that this podcast might refer to events from the past as current or in the future, but rest assured that the stories, tips and advice shared by my guests continues to be pure gold. Hello, my name is Ella Dodds and I'm co-presenter and today Joe is interviewing Andrew Donovan. Joe was introduced to Andrew via Paul Lagana from show number two. They did the interview quite a while ago before Jo took a break whilst developing her products, so she's really pleased to be getting this out to you now. Andrew Donovan, author of Motivate Yourself, is a globally sought-after facilitator, speaker and consultant. She specialises in coaching high-performing CEO and entrepreneur forums to become more effective leaders with a stronger sense of meaning and purpose in their life. She combines her 20 years experience as a management consultant with her natural insights and affinity with all types of people to help her clients gain greater influence, effectiveness and perspective. She's best known for her life-changing fulfilment retreats for top executive forums around the world who are exploring their own personal development and making a difference. Back to the studio. So today I'm interviewing Andrew Donovan, author and leadership coach. So really pleased to have you with me, Andrew. How are you? Hello there. Yes, I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? Yes, I'm good too. So tell me a bit about you, what you do and where you do it. I always sound like Silla Black at this stage. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I suppose I'm gathering titles as I get older, but basically I, I am an author um, but my main job is I facilitate off-site retreats for chief executives and entrepreneurs and business owners. Um, and the retreats um, are really designed to have them feel they can bring their best work into their into the world, whether that's through being a better leader, uh, father, husband. You know, the subject matter is quite broad because it's kind of whole life coaching. Right, okay. So those will be at venues. What, where are you when you're not at those venues? When I'm not at the venue? Yes, when you're not running a retreat. Do you work from home? When I'm not running a retreat, mm-hmm. which can happen anywhere in the world. Um, I am in my lovely country house in Wiltshire, in Salisbury, um, where I can relax and surrounded by lovely green fields and a moat and it's all very peaceful here. Um, or I may be in London, so I live between the two, but I'm mainly here because um, I've got two lovely children and a dog and a husband, and um, my children go to school in this area. Lovely. And so when you do your retreats, you said you can do them around the world, sort of what, how many do you do in the year and, and what sort of places are you travelling to? Is it quite a lot of travel? It's a lot of travel. Last year I clocked up, I think, about 50. Wow. Um and so, just to give you an idea, I, I, I went from something like bronze to gold status on British Airways miles <laughs> very, very quickly. Felt a bit like George Clooney and up in the air. Um, but uh, yes, I do travel a lot, and um, I have been trying to cut that down a little bit. Um, and I could be anywhere from sort of Istanbul to Petra to Greater Europe, because these guys that I work with, I usually work in groups of about eight to ten. Mm-hmm. They'll select a venue, and that could be anywhere, usually somewhere where they want to go, where they want to relax, and um, I go over and work with them there. Lovely. So 
I'm intrigued because I, I don't do anything near as exciting as <laughs> as, uh, as you, but I do travel a bit and, and you know run sort of all day sessions when I'm speaking or, or training. And I find sometimes it can be a bit frustrating between having my lovely routine when I'm at, at home in my home office to then traveling and, and I sort of drop the routine and I'm, I'm sort of in the moment wherever I am. But then I always find this this period of sort of catch up when I get back and, and it feels like everything's sort of upside down. How do you cope with that change in your routine all the time? Do you know, that's such a good question because there's two things going on. Firstly, it's my physical stamina and health because as you can imagine, um, waiting for flights, sometimes they're delayed, don't always travel, you know, business class. Um, it can really, you know, cause you quite a lot of fatigue, wear and tear. And the best, the best trips are where there's no delays, I'm sitting right at the front of the flight. I've learned over the years to pack very lightly so I can whiz straight off. Um, but I'd say one of the most important things for me is sleep. I make sure if I'm arriving at a client venue, they often invite me for supper the night before a retreat. Um, and I always check is it at the hotel, is it at a restaurant near the hotel because you know when 10 guys get together, they can start wanting it to go on longer and I don't really want to be out until sort of 11, 12, 1 in the morning. So I usually say as long as I can be home by and I make that an absolute ground rule and they will either put me in a taxi um, if it's in a safe environment or one of them will escort me home. So my sleep, I've got to get seven hours sleep minimum. Mm -hmm. When I'm at home I usually go for eight hours sleep. Um, that's a very big deal for me. I can't function if I don't have sleep. Yeah. Um, when I'm at home, um, one of the things I find difficult is clicking back to my family life as a wife and a mum when I've had sort of guru status for three <laughs> or four days. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll sort of come back and sometimes, I hope he's not listening to this, my husband will go, what's for dinner? <laughs> or, or have you got the kids' uniform sorted? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we've learned over the years to sort of divide and rule, but um, I have some rituals I do that help that process be a little bit more seamless, shall we say, but it doesn't always work. <laughs> so tell us more about those, that sounds intriguing, because uh, I, I agree with you, I have the same thing, it's a, what, are we ha what have we got for tea, and I, my response is usually, well, I don't know, what have you thought of, I wasn't here, <laughs> but it doesn't really wash, does it? <laughs> yeah, okay, well a couple of things, firstly, um, I mean I, I work on um, with my clients a lot of the time on things like meaning and purpose and feeling sort of satisfied and fulfilled in life. And when I'm running on empty, because I've been out on the road, you know, for a consecutive number of days or whatever, it's very important for me to stay connected to the home. And it's not always easy to phone and get a connection. So I started to feel quite neglected if my husband hadn't sent me a text or a nice email. And my husband being quite sort of male brain, if I send a message like, how are the children, love you, miss you, or whatever, he might go, yes, they're all fine, um, and uh, see you on Sunday. Something really cryptic. Yeah. So the impact on me can be, oh, he didn't say I love you and really miss you. Yeah. But it's not because he doesn't, it's just his style. So I had to give him feedback about that. <laughs> and I said to him, if we can't speak, it's really important that I get a text from you, even if it's just a symbol of a heart and miss you or some little cryptic thing, mm -hmm. so that I stay connected mm -hmm. while I'm working. And, you know, when I go to a break and I check my phone, there's some sort of connection. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. My, my husband doesn't even send me text messages, so I think you're one step ahead there. <laughs> he doesn't even reply to mine half the time. <laughs> but, yeah, I do exactly know what you mean. You do get that feeling of I'm in some sort of different world, which can be fun and and as you you know said you're in, you're in some amazing places and and so on but it then is very difficult isn't it to sort of keep in with what's happening elsewhere are you how old are your children um, my son's 13 and my daughter's 16 and although you'd think well a 16 year old will take responsibility for things like cooking when mum is coming back that doesn't always happen in fact it never happens <laughs> so the other thing um i don't know if you've read the lovely book called um Five Love Languages by David Chapman. I've had it recommended about twice and I, I haven't yet read it and I must and now third time, third time lucky I will. So yes, please do tell oh, me. Oh, okay. Yes, you must read it. It's a very sweet little book and it's a chap who's worked with couples 
And he says we all have a different channel for receiving love. And he goes into five different channels. And one of the channels that I think is my channel is acts of service. So I don't necessarily need to have lots of, when I walk in, presents and being made a fuss over, but I do like acts of service. So if I walk in and my husband says, I've cooked you a lovely meal and it's in the arbor waiting for you when I come home, come home at 11, or I open the fridge and it's full of food and I'm not expected to go to Waitrose the moment I walk in, um, it feels good. But that wasn't happening. Mm. When I read that book, I realized it's really important for me because he's quite sort of male and thinks, oh, well, she'll have eaten on the flight. Yeah. So now he always says, will you want to eat when you get home? And he always makes sure that there's something for me. And even if I don't eat it, it's a gesture yes. of knowing someone's bothered. Because when you walk in after having given a lot of myself, you know, heart and soul for three or four days, and I walk in and the fridge is bereft and there's nothing left for me and everyone's asleep, <laughs> you know, it can feel a bit... Yeah. Poverty stricken. <laughs> so that's that's something I've I've explained to him, and you know I now know his channel, and so I can make sure that I give him what he needs as well. Yes, yeah. I, I, I'm off to I'm off to read that book now. I have had it recommended as I say a few times. So uh, I I uh, think that because I, I I stand similar to to you in that that's the sort of thing. Um, that would make a big difference to me. So uh, I need to find out what my husband's is and then I can have that conversation. <laughs> so yeah, and a lot of the men I work with, you know, might say things, I mean, they don't actually use this phraseology, my wife doesn't understand me. But I think they are so busy traveling and running these complicated businesses and lives that it must be really tough when they go home to a wife that isn't involved in those projects. Mm -hmm. um, which is why the typical you know, scenario is a lot of men will maybe have an affair or something like that. But it's usually less to do with lust and more to do with that person shares their life day to day. Mm. And what I often say to people is the, the rocks of a good marriage are in joint projects. Yes. Because, you know, you, you yes, you have a project call, if you can call children project, you have that as a joint project. But, you know, you've always got to have something exciting that you're working with together, whether it's a house refurbishment or planning, you know, a longer term holiday or big trip or something that dovetails purpose. Mm. Otherwise, you know, when the children start to leave, you know, you can be bereft of a joint purpose. Yes. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. So when you're um, in the, where, so you're, you're either at home or you're traveling, do you have a sort of similar routine or, or is it quite different? I mean, obviously you're in different places and sometimes things get in the way, but how do you sort of start the day? Is there any similarity there? Well, when I'm traveling, it's a very clear routine. Um, and I, I try to simplify my life. So I always use the same driver. He always picks me up. And I always charge the client for that, that chauffeur trip to the airport because that completely um, demystifies the stress of trying to get to the place on time, etc. So I get driven to the airport. I check in, the, check in if I'm checking in luggage. Otherwise, I go straight to the business class lounge. I sit down, relax, maybe have a healthy meal. And if I don't have time for that, I always buy a salad from Pret-a-Manger and I take it on the flight. Because if I start eating wheat and sandwiches and what I call polystyrene food on the flight, that's the first downer for me. Mm. And I can start to feel bloated, lethargic. And, you know, you get hungry when you're on a flight, so it's important that I go prepared. If I'm on, in business, then the, the food's usually a bit more choice and better. So I always, manage, I always take a salad with me um, on the flight, yeah. and I can see people looking over their shoulder a little bit jealous, you know, that I've got a lovely salad missoire while they're tucking into their <laughs> plastic sandwich. <laughs> um, and then when I get to the venue, I always um, check out the room I'm working in first. That, that brings my stress levels down because I then know how much time I need to spend creating the space for this magic that's going to be happening. Mm. Invariably, it's not right. There's a boardroom table or something going on that isn't going to work for me. So I try and do all that long before we even arrive at the sort of morning. Um, and then I go to my room. If I'm having to have dinner, then obviously I'll join the group for dinner. Otherwise, I usually order a healthy bit of room service if it's early enough and have an early night. Mm. Yeah. If I'm at home, um, it's a very different routine. Um, I always get up very early uh, because I'm best in the morning. 
and I come down normally before anyone else is up. Um, I let my little dog Coco out, have a little walk around the garden, just get some fresh air. And then this does sound really cheesy, but I I do do a gratitude process. Yeah. So as I walk the dog around, I breathe breathe the air. I've got a, I'm lucky enough to live in a beautiful place, and I just just for a few minutes just go. Oh, wonderful. What do I want from my day? And I ask myself, what do I want from my day today? How do I want to feel at the end of the day? What am I grateful for? What's working in my life? And I turn up the volume on some of those deeper questions because it's a way of grounding myself and prepare myself for the next thing that I'm going to do, which is usually my outcomes list. And I come back in, Coco comes in, and I create, I make myself a coffee, which is naughty, but I do. Um, lovely cappuccino or something. And then I sit down um, with a blank sheet of paper. And it's really important it's a blank sheet of paper that's a loose sheet of paper. Now, bear in mind, I will have done a lot of life planning and I've got a lot of outcomes that I'm going for in the year. But every morning, I like to write my ideal outcomes down. And... Um, I ask myself once I've made the list, is this in line with my purpose? Will doing these things make me feel satisfied at the end of the day and take me closer to what it is I want? Now, at the moment, I've just launched a book. So a lot of my to-do list is around becoming a bestseller, getting the message out there, this interview with you, um, becomes a vital task for my day. Because, you know, you had a bit of a, a delay today. I could have, if, it, if I had deemed this not to be vital, I could have just reprioritized it. But I have, um, in, my, in my book, I discuss the criteria that I use to decide how I use my time. And vital is when it's life-giving, as in it gives vitality to my purpose. It takes me closer to the thing I really want, the bigger thing, the big agenda. <clears throat> and if it's urgent... For instance, during this call, I know that we're having some marble delivered. That's something that was urgent, but something my husband can do. Um, so it's understanding the difference between vital, that's going to really feed me and nourish me, and urgent, which is just yet another task that I have to do mm-hmm. that's demanding my immediate attention. And knowing the difference between those is so important because I can achieve much bigger chunks in smaller spaces of time because I've defined what's vital, because it's in line with my purpose. Yeah, I, lo- I love that phrase, or that, that word, vital. Um, it just sort of speaks so much, um, you know, makes it really clear about why why you're doing, you know, what, what you're doing. Uh, yeah, I really like that. I, I do a, a sort of gratitude thing in the morning, purely and simply because I uh, read a, a tip from a guy called Tim Ferriss about the an app, in fact, called My five minute journal which I recommended on my newsletter a couple of weeks ago and I just started doing that as a result of him doing it not because I sort of particularly bought into the the whole thing about it being you know really important and a a ritual ritual start to the day and so on but I'm finding it really useful and it is the sorts of questions that you've just shared that that are in there Um, and um, but I haven't been I don't think clear enough with the, the the things for today based on that purpose and and you know, using that that word vital, I think um, re- is really helpful. So thank you for that, because I'm going to take that away <laughs> and improve my <laughs> my gratitude session in the morning. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's very important for people to identify their purpose, um, and it doesn't have to be this long mystical journey. Uh, but I think if you if you understand what you're here to do. And it doesn't, as I say, have to be anything very spiritual or, you know, um, global or massive. It can be something, you know, quite normal. But I think clarity about your purpose really creates your whole sort of alignment of the way you use your day and the way you use your days, which lead to months to lead to years. And that that purpose has to be re-energized, reviewed and possibly changed, you know, as, as your interests change and as your drivers change. But I think it's important to be able to sort of sit up and go, yeah, this is my purpose. This is what I love. This is what I do. And this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I do I do have, actually, I don't know if it will help listeners. I have um, four or five key questions people can ask themselves 
but very, very quick when they're trying to identify what's my purpose. Would you like to hear them? Oh, yes, please, definitely. Well, you've, you've probably already heard that it's really important to have an elevator speech. Mm-hmm. So a, some, when someone says, so what do you do? And I think what you answer at that point really defines you subliminally and to the other person. So some people can be very dismissive by using things like, oh, I just do, or, or they minimize their effects. So I think, you know, the who you are, um, it's very important that you say that in a one-liner and what, that when you read it back to yourself, you go, yeah, that's what I do. And it really does encapsulate, you know, uh, what you do as a gift to the world, whether it's, um, you know, I, I, um, I cleanse toilets so that when people come in, they have an uplifting experience to, you know, I... I do charitable work all over the world. You know, I, it doesn't really matter as long as you've got you, you've got clarity on why you're doing that. You know, what what, what is it? Yeah. So who you are? Then what do you love to do? Um, what are you supremely qualified to teach people? Yeah. It's a good question because everyone's got some expertise. Mm. You know, whether it's fixing the electrics or taking walking kids to school or baking cakes, whatever is your, you know, what you're really supremely qualified in doing. Who do you do it for? So my family, my kids, chief executives, whatever. Yeah. And when, when you're giving this gift of yours, you know, what, what do people want from you? What are they wanting? And how do they change or transform as a result of receiving that gift from you or your contribution? Mm-hmm. And I think those questions are quite, quite good ones to ask because ultimately, we do things for other people. Ultimately, that in in their own way feeds us, and that that to me um, is is the is the loop. You know, because we think we're doing it for for ourselves, but ultimately we do things in relationship and you know mm-hmm. to make a contribution. Um, and the more that we have visibility of that contribution, the more we feel good about ourselves. Yeah, yeah, lovely. So, so purpose is is sort of the key that the, the first thing. How how do you then link that into what you're doing on on a sort of you know monthly, weekly, daily basis? You've talked about your gratitude, I guess, ritual in the morning. Um, how else do, do you turn that purpose into sort of real life and and things getting done? Well, one of the things I do regularly um, is I do life planning. And I do that on my own, but I also do it with my husband. And I started this years ago. And life planning is really when you look at all the key areas of your life, but coming from a point of fundamental core values. So, for instance, I've honed down my values to maybe four or five that I know that I can't breathe unless they're in my life. So they're not values like um, integrity, loyalty, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. They're values like love and connection, um, a sense of contribution, mm-hmm. um, vitality and health, uh, family, you know, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I know friendship, good friendships. I know if they're not present in my life, part of me will start to shut down so for instance if I've been on in the field for ages you know running around doing retreats etc but I've really neglected my friends at home I can start to feel really disconnected isolated um, a little a bit of what's, what's the point of all this you know so I know what the indicators are and I don't need to bring myself back into that balance yeah. so that's the bigger aspect and then I will literally want to achieve certain things in areas of my life, whether it's my personal environment, my health, my friends, my business. Um, and then those get translated into, you know, five-year, two-year, one-year daily actions. And every phase of my life, I have a different focus. So, at the, you know, I, I said about three years ago, I want to write, write a book. So that's when the planning of that started. And now I've actually launched a book. It's been published, and I'm talking to you. 
And that, that wasn't a coincidence, that was planned. You know, the stages were planned. And you need a bit of luck. Uh, but I always say to people, if they want something, they've got to be prepared to do the peddling. You know, the peddling up the hill, the peddling to the direction, and then something will pop up that may not be what they're expecting, but it may be even better than what they were looking for. But you have to have an intention to get somewhere, yeah. whatever that intention may be. And it, it, you know, it could be around your kids, it could be something you're going for, you know, like something like writing a book. Um, so the ritual in the morning, when I've translated that, is what action can I do today to tick off on a vital level that purpose coming to fruition? So for instance, years ago when I lived in a busy city, you know, London, um, I, I had a yearning to be in the country, to have a quiet life. And that came from my value of serenity and tranquility. You know, I really wanted calm, peace, serenity. And I decided that in order to have that, I needed to change my environment. I needed, you know, five, ten years from now to be living somewhere that nurtured me. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, if my ten-year goal is to have a beautiful country house in Wiltshire, but now I'm in a flat in London, very busy area, how can I get from there to there? Well, there's ways of translating that. And so I knew that... that on the Monday, I had to do something specific to have that goal manifest. So what I did was I called Country Life and started to subscribe to the Country Life magazine. So every time that magazine entered my door on a Thursday, I think it was delivered, suddenly my future was in my present. And any action I took led me closer to that. And, and, and that's the way I kind of do it. And I, hey, presto, I had, I had the environment I wanted within about five years is setting that goal not 10 years because I took more focus over it yeah yeah lovely so so just sort of exploring that further so you've got you've got the life planning we're talking about purpose it sort of sounds fairly simple as you say to to sort of make sure that what you're doing sort of fits with that on a daily basis but of course there's there's you know tons of actions that, that could be taken every day and that you know we've always got an overflowing to-do list or certainly an overflowing list of things that perhaps might make it to the to-do list. How, how do you then hone that down from, from the life planning, the purpose into the actual uh, actions? And, and, you know, the, the example you gave with with um, subscribing to, to the magazine, I guess, was a, a very, um, maybe not obvious at the time, but now sounds quite an obvious next step. I suppose that, that that's why it was a priority. It was a, it was a sort of an early step, but then there were a lot of other things that you needed to do to go from there to, to living in in Wiltshire. So so how do you how do you then make it happen? Do you do you plan um, projects or or orders of events or how, how does that work for you? Well, I think people different people respond to different things. Um, when I coach people, I give them different ways of getting to the same answer because it's a bit like spaghetti. Some things work for some people and they don't work for others. I happen to be quite visual. So, you know, when I've got time and space um, and I'm going for something big, you know, I don't have to life plan now for another six months because I've got some big things on my horizon. But if I get to that point of I've leveled out what next sort of, energy mm. um, I may do I may do a big vision board for instance where I'll cut out images of magazines and things that I experiences I want to create in my life whether it's tranquility me doing a TED talk um, writing a book having you know fantastic figure doing amazing yoga whatever it may be that I want in my life order um, I will create that as an image personally other people may do it differently you know they may let do um, arrival points they may describe it um, in a more kinesthetic way but you know there's visual there's there's uh, you know how do you feel about things what kind of feelings you want to have in the future or you could indeed include auditory in that as well but I think it's really important to have some sort of envisioned process um, and in the book I've, I've written I talk about the importance of meditating and contemplating I mean Aristotle said the first stage of action is contemplation because these pictures and images and feelings and sounds, they stimulate your kind of mind's eye and your imagination. Because if you can't imagine yourself having this life or this job or, you know, this relationship, you're never going to create it. Mm. So you have to first imagine it. Then you've got to really desire it, want it. And then you've got to tune in. And this is a really important part. 
got to tune in to all the negative voices, those little saboteurs in your head. I call them rats, little rats, rational mind, you know, saying you can't have it, you don't have a degree, or you can't write because you're dyslexic, or you, you know, whatever. These limiting beliefs, you've got to be aware of those because those will undermine you and those will keep you stuck. So knowing that they're going to be there, allowing them to surface, maybe even recording them in a journal or in a recorder, um, then you can transform them and you can start to get in control of them because you become more conscious of them. Mm. Mm. Once you've transformed those, that's an ongoing moment-to-moment daily practice. You can't just transform them one day and that's it. But it gets easier as you start to believe in yourself more. So you would start in a macro way, you know, with a vision board, a life plan, etc. And then, you know, day-to-day, things become more simple. But one of the things I do do is I don't do to-do lists. I do ideal outcomes. And I think that's a big shift. And it doesn't matter whether I'm going into a meeting or whether I'm facing my day of a million things to do. If I do a to-do list, I could be working all day and still feel dissatisfied at the end. Whereas if I do ideal outcomes, and then ask myself, what do I want to feel like at the end of the day? What do I want it to give me at the end of the day? And out of all these things, which is going to give, be, be, give me the biggest delivery, I have to really force myself to make that my priority. Because it's so easy to go into your office and spend the best part of your morning when you're, you're freshest, or certainly where I am. Um, you know, decluttering, you know, doing a bit of admin, writing your bills, clearing the deck so that you can do the big thing, and you never get around to doing the big thing. Oh, yes, absolutely. So, can you perhaps give so doing us the big example? thing when you're energetic is great. Yeah, yeah. So, can you perhaps give us an example of of what an outcome might be and what that might lead to doing during the day? Um, yes, for instance. An ideal outcome may be I'm going to a meeting um, to talk to somebody about something I want to pitch to them as an idea. Yeah. Um, rather than going, well, I need to get a sign, them to sign off this. I need an agreement for that, which puts pressure on a, a specific um, thing like getting some a signature. I talk about, I, I go... Wouldn't it be great if that person said, let's collaborate? Um, I imagine that person sort of shaking my hand and smiling and going, do I really just want this signed off or do I want X? And then I try to envision, that's not giving you a great example, is it? Because it's probably not going to be familiar to a lot of people. Um, Let me think again about something more specific as an ideal outcome. Well, I might, you know, for instance want to create something special for my kids when they're coming home if I've been on a trip. Yeah. So I can watch my ideal outcome. And I, I want when they walk through the door to have a big smile on their face. So one of the things I, I'd make sure is I've clocked off from my working day in time to get their favorite food, create a lovely meal, lay the table beautifully, maybe buy them a little treat, and be in a high-energy state when they walk through the door. Yeah. So what they see is mummy running towards them with her, arm, her arms open and smiling faces. But, if they, but it's very subtle. If they walk in and I'm on my computer and I haven't made eye contact, hi, darlings, be with you in a second, I've ruined it. Yes. Because the first thing they've seen is mummy letting them know they're not a priority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And little things like that make huge differences, mm. even in couples, you know, because I do some couples work. And so much pivots on the greeting. Yes. You know, you think about it. If you walk in and someone's on there, whether it's a meeting or a social chat or whatever, if someone's finishing off an email before they've got time to look up and smile at you, how does that feel? It diminishes you, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I love that phrase. I heard it the other day on a, I don't know, a TV program or it was in a book I read or something, something about... Uh, so and so was diminished, and I thought, oh, I love that phrase. I must remember that. And it came up again. And they can spend the next two hours validating you, making you feel good, but nothing compares to you going, you know, hi, you know, I'm here for yeah. you. And and I always make sure with my clients, you know, as far as I can, that the first greeting is so important in the, in the morning and when they walk through the door, they're the most important thing in my life. Yeah. I don't want them walking in while I'm checking off a. 
um, you know, a text mm-hmm. and I'm distracted for a second, it just, just sends off the wrong signal. Yeah. I don't know if that's answered your question. The ideal outcome is imagining how I want the impact to be on the other person and what's that, what's that going to give me because what's yeah. my ideal outcome? Well, my ideal outcome is to have my children feel happy and feel that they're the centre of my universe. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it is. I need to go to Waitrose and buy the food. Yeah. I need to clean the house and I need to lay the table. Yeah, yeah. It does help, and and I think um, I mean I I do use to do lists, and and but what I find myself doing quite often is completely ignoring my to do list and probably working on the basis of an outcome without realizing and doing some of the things from the list even though I haven't been checking it because they contribute to that outcome. So, yeah, it's really key because we normally do know what we need to do. We don't necessarily need to list things down um, if we know what the end result needs to look like, because some of that stuff will come naturally through through the things that you just do because, you know, you need to do them for that to happen. So, yeah, I think that was really helpful. Thank you. So we've talked quite a bit about um, um, health throughout the interview without focusing on it. So you've mentioned sleep and you've talked about and nutrition, taking your salads on the plane with you. Uh, you mentioned yoga, you mentioned meditation. It sounds like it's something that, that you do have a focus on. Would, would that be the, the case? Yes, I mean, I, I, I don't always have time to go to a yoga class. And sometimes I'm found in my hotel room. But I thought, you know, I, I work with um, you know a lady who has helped me over the years. But I thought everybody can do three asanas or asanas, however you want to pronounce it. So before I go to bed, I always do a couple of salutations, a downward-facing dog, you know, a cat, if nothing else, to ease off the strain because I've been on a flight or whatever. And then I do those in the morning as well. So that just, it just becomes a routine, a little mm-hmm. bit like brushing your teeth. And at the moment something becomes a routine, that's brilliant because it's part of your daily action that you don't even think about anymore. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't say, you know, I do tons of fitness because I don't, but I do when I'm home, you know, always walk the dog, I go for a swim, I belong to a gym. Don't like doing too much gym, but I do do the basics. You know, I, I'll attend a yoga class. Another one is a mind, body, spirit because I love that. If I if I have time, you know, I'll I'll do potentially a body pump or something a bit more physical and active. But I, I try and do something at least three or four times a week that, that takes me into a movement, mm. you know, a little action. Mm. Uh, I wouldn't say I was frenetic or a fanatic. My husband's a fanatic. You can't talk to him unless he's been to the gym for two hours. <laughs> I'm not like that. Um, yeah. And I, I wouldn't say I'm naturally... Um, it doesn't come easy to me, you know, to go to the gym and be active. And I'm not a... I, you know, like the goddess energies of Carl Jung, you know, Artemis, some people... Some people, like like the goddess Artemis, who's goddess of the wild, is always running. You know those girls who are always running or doing a marathon. I'm not that type. Yeah. So I have to work. I have to work at it. I'd be lying if I didn't. Um, but for me, it's really important that I feel attractive in my body. I'm, I'm presenting all the time, so I've got to feel good in my body. Um, and it it, it 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 makes me feel more attractive when I've I've nurtured myself. Mm-hmm. And it, whether that's walking, eating properly. Um, or whatever, but mm. I'm not a saint. I still like a glass of wine in the evening. <laughs> and my naughty, very expensive chocolate that's, you know, 60, 70% cocoa. You know, I love a little Absolutely. bit of chocolate. I have a glass of wine. But, you know, I, I do take, I do do the regular things well. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't eat pasta. I don't have bread. I don't, you know, do that kind of thing. That's still part of the whole nurturing, I think, the wine and chocolate. It's definitely part of nurturing. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, get a life, you know. I would say to people, I could be jacking up with heroin, but no, I'm having a glass of wine. <laughs> and also, when I've had a really good day, it's so lovely to sit down with a client and have a lovely glass of wine. And, yeah. You know, why not? Yeah. Treat yourself. I always say a little bit of what you fancy does you good. And I personally find people who overdo that balance i think there was it was in star magazine a few weeks ago it's uh, it's the opposite of being unhealthy but it's a it's a, it's becoming a syndrome it's, it's a healthy food yeah Sorry? Was the word for it yes that's it that's yeah. it yeah, yeah yeah and uh you know i've met a lot of those people and some of them are really unhappy mm-hmm. so, yeah yeah exactly so um 
What about learning and improving yourself? I, I guess you probably do that as part of your, your work anyway and um, your lifestyle by the sound of it. What, what sort of things do you do? I love learning. I'm always um, either reading an article or reading a book. Um, I think it's part of my um, duty to keep myself fresh. So I often listen to great TED Talks. I think they're brilliant because yeah. you can get a pulse of some new ideas very, very quickly listening to a TED Talk. Um, I normally would, within a year, do um, a seminar, attend a seminar myself. I really love being in, this, in, this, in the situation where I'm not running it and I'm listening and growing myself. Mm -hmm. So I'll probably do one or two of those, a workshop or something. Um, I also have... Um, a connection to other facilitators and we there is a conference you know once a year where we share know-how and we chill and resource each other mm. and I belong to a, various peer groups where we connect in and we talk about whatever it is so for instance I've just written a book I have several different places now that I tap into with other authors because I think it's very very important when you're learning and growing that you create a peer group that has similar goals yeah. because then you're in with the right crowd because for instance if you want to lose weight and you're with your mates in inverted commas and you say no 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 I'm not drinking I'm on a bit of a regime and they'll go oh come on we love you the way you are can't you give up drinking after the hen do <laughs> that kind of thing it's not very supportive yeah so I find that the, you know people who've never written a book don't understand people who've written a book. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. it's one of those challenges. You've, you've just got to have done it. Yeah. But the conversation with people who've gone through that particular challenge is a very, very different ball game. Yeah. And you've got to surround yourself with people you want to become like. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So what about if um, things don't go right? What about if your day doesn't quite pan out <laughs> as you were planning? How do you deal with that? You mean when I've hit a barrier? <laughs> um, well, I this is another thing that I, I, I talk about in the book because we all hit barriers and I've honed it down to some specific emotions and you have to become a little bit of a robot because you've got to learn to decode yourself. So the key emotions anyone hits in the day, and, and certainly I do, is apathy, where you can't be bothered. Yeah. And you have thoughts like, what's the point? I can't be bothered. I sometimes hit that in the morning, you know, when I've arrived somewhere, I'm jet lagged. For me, it's in the middle of the night, but the alarm's gone off and it's six o'clock and it's, oh no. <laughs> the first thing I may hit is apathy. Yes. And the thoughts are, what's the point? I really can't believe that's the time. And at that point, I go, that's interesting. I'm in apathy and I'm having these sort of thoughts. So then I tell myself, set a short-term goal. And the short-term goal for me at that moment is shower, coffee, <laughs> shower, coffee. So at that point, I physically move, and there's a big, big hint there. You have to physically move to so change your resource state. Um, you become more kind of motivated as you physically get yourself out of the bed, walk to the shower, and then I'm in a whole new realm because I've moved. My thoughts are changing to, hey, I wonder who I'm going to meet today. And great, what, where's the coffee machine? Can I work it? Because they're all different in these hotels. And then suddenly I'm in a different space. But So you may hit apathy. You may hit that very, very common one, it's not fair. Why mm -hmm. me? Why does this keep happening to me? And I know through practice that's me being a victim. And when I'm being a victim, I know I can't change things. So I have to somehow do some positive self-talk and move myself out of grief <clears throat> into... What can I do about the situation? And I really highly recommend tuning into the thoughts you're having when you're in these barriers because they're always different. You know, you'll have different thoughts in apathy to when you're in grief, to when you're in fear, to when you're in anger, to when you're in pride. Mm. So pride is just as much of a stuck position as all those others. Um, and so I've, I've, I work with people to understand the typical ones they fall into and how they can get better at moving out of that. But the, the fundamental principle is move, go for a run, walk, just literally change your energy, yeah. up your energy, and focus on the short-term goal. Mm. And then you're in breakthrough, you're in a sort of I can, I will world. 
Yeah. Unless it's something heavy, like someone's died, in which case you have to give yourself time to grieve. But even there, you still have to get to a point of moving forward with your life and going, yeah. I have to accept it now and move forward. But I, I'm talking about the sort of day-to-day -day barriers that we hit because you had a bad phone call or your boss was horrible or you missed your train and it screwed up your whole day. Those sort of barriers. Yeah, 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 yeah. So on a day when you actually have had a good day, you end the day knowing that you've had the chance to live more and I call it, um, or I, I describe living more as, as getting to do the things that you want to do rather than the things that you feel you should do or you have to do. What have you done? What, what does that day look like for you? Well, actually, I've just had a fantastic day on Saturday. It was one of those days where um, I, I was being interviewed in London by radio, I think it was Monocle 24, that's what it's called. And I've never, I'd never had this experience before in London. And I said to my husband, I've got an interview, I've got to be in London at one, and we live in Wiltshire. Yeah. And he said, so will you be taking the train? That's our first barrier. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, I thought it might be fun if we just went down together. And he said, should we leave the children because I've got a dog? And I said, no, wouldn't it be lovely for them to come with us? And he and Bella, my daughter, 16-year-old, did her grunt and said, no, I don't want to go two hours on the drive. <laughs> and it kind of very long story short, I managed to enroll them into my little vision for the day, knowing that it could be a real damn squib and didn't know yeah. what to expect. But we went down for the day. Um, I walked in. The Georgina Goodwin of that radio station was wonderful and allowed them to sit and listen in the actual radio room. Yeah. So they saw Mummy being interviewed for about 20 minutes live. Yeah. And it was absolutely fantastic. They were fascinated. They had a lovely morning. And then we took them to, um, had a lovely walk around the shops. And then we went to the Hard Rock Cafe, where they were allowed to have anything they wanted on the menu. Um, and I said to them, you can either have a, a, a drink, you know, a milkshake, or you can have a pudding, but you can't have both. Yeah. And then, lucky for me, by the end of, by the end of their triple burger, they didn't have room for anything else. <laughs> <laughs> but we had a lovely day, and it was those two worlds merging, yeah. where you know my business life, if you like, and my personal life just worked beautifully together. And we came back, we were absolutely shattered. And my son said, is it my bedtime yet, mummy? Because I'm absolutely knackered. <laughs> I said, yes, you can go to bed. <laughs> so that was a really lovely day. Yeah, yeah, it sounds good. It's, it's funny, when children actually ask to go to bed, you know you've done a good job in the day. I think my daughter's asked me yeah. about twice you in that You know you're doing night. something right. <laughs> <laughs> lovely, oh, that sounds really good. So it sounds like you're doing lots, lots of uh, radio-style interviews. <laughs> They're starting to happen, Joe. Yeah, they're just starting. So this is, I think this is about the third one I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and because the book only came out last week. Yeah, lovely. So I was just about to move on to how can people find out more about you, but perhaps the lead into that is tell us a bit more about the book. You've mentioned it as we've gone through. So uh, what what it's about? What's it about? How can it help us? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's called Motivate Yourself, and the strap line is Get the Life You Want find purpose and achieve fulfillment and it's um, a book that is absolutely practical it's a step-by-step -step guide um, it's based on 20 years of experience in the field and you know all these processes I've used with live groups and got people to work through it but I've distilled it into um, three sections the first section is finding out who you are at your core you know, what your core values are, what lights you up. And it's not that easy, actually, for some people. So there's a number of different processes that take you to that answer. Then the second section is about understanding what gets in the way of your happiness. And that is including, you know, your own rational mind, your subliminal belief system, where you got them from. And it's identifying all those things and starting to literally rewire yourself. Mm -hmm. which sounds painful, but it isn't, <laughs> but it does take, you do have to do the work. You have to sit there and do the work with a journal or with a recorder or your iPhone. You, know, yeah. you can't just sort of read it and expect it to descend upon you from grace. You've mm -hmm. got to actually physically doing, do some of the thinking processes. And then the final piece is the practical designing your life life plan bits. And I end up with um, sort of 10 motivational principles. And one of my favourites is be positive, choose to be happy. Lovely. I like that, uh, choose to be happy. I was uh, I put something on Facebook the other day about um, 
trying really hard to be happy and somebody said that sort of doesn't make sense you're not supposed to be trying really hard <laughs> and it's like well what I mean is you know creating things situations and, and a life where I am happy it's not that it's it's a difficult thing as such but um, it is definitely a mindset thing isn't it well you can be attached to the drama yes you can be attached more to the argument than the you know what I could just choose to be happy here mm. so it's that letting go process but yeah. you know there's there's some nice neat little uh, 10 principles at the back which I, I quite like they're a little bit like my mini um, desiderata but the other one is make sure you're leaving your comfort zone on a regular basis because this is where the magic is yeah you know, you know whatever you're doing whether you're skiing or whether you're going for something bigger if you're if you're not challenging yourself a little bit every day you know you start to go really flabby on all levels <laughs> <laughs> certainly around the middle <laughs> yeah so um, tell us more about how people can get hold of the book and how they can contact you and how they can connect with you. Uh, well, the book's published by Capstan. It's a Wiley brand. And it's available on Amazon, which is very easy. Um, and they can get hold of me. Um, I've got a website, androandrodonovan.com. Um, and Andro is A-N-D-R-O, so mm -hmm. that should be quite straightforward. And Donovan is D-O-N-O-V-A-N, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. And um, so they can get the book on Amazon, come to my website. I'm, I'm going to be developing all sorts of little freebies and tips. And if you become a subscriber, then we can stay in touch. Lovely. Thank you. Really appreciate your time today, Andrew. I've really enjoyed it. I think... Um, it's always good to interview people who are sort of working with some of the self-improvement uh, sort of side of things anyway, because then you, you, we tend to go deeper into uh, that, that side of things and, and uh, probably less about, um, you know, technology and, and apps and things that I might uh, do with other people. So I, it's been a really interesting conversation. Thank you for joining me. Well, I've really enjoyed it. And just the final thing I wanted to say is somebody sent me a postcard this is when I was having a difficult, a very difficult retreat last year, and it said, "Don't forget to be awesome." And I keep that on my on my bathroom mirror, so that I just check in if I'm feeling a little bit in a low energy state. I look at that, and it sort of lifts my spirit. So anything you can do by giving yourself a little placard to, you know, give yourself that little kick is great. But I've really enjoyed this conversation, and um, I look forward to speaking to you again sometime, Joe. Lovely, thank you. Are you a home-based coach or consultant feeling like you need a bit of help? Our Power to Live More Calm membership is designed to meet you where you're at with the help you need in the moment so you can get unstuck, move forwards and get stuff done. You might think this sounds too good to be true or maybe wondering how it would fit with how you work and run your business. Why not have a no obligation chat with Jo to see how she can help you? All you need to do is go to powertolivemore.com Slash calm call. Use your power to live more.